You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Today we'll be talking with Dr. Nate Lawson about the surface treatment of dental ceramics. Dr. Lawson is an assistant professor in the Division of Biomaterials at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. He is passionate about testing new materials and techniques in the laboratory and applying the results to clinical dentistry. Dr. Lawson's primary research interests are related to the physical and mechanical properties of dental ceramics, composites, cements, and adhesives. And we're really happy to have Dr. Lawson on. He's a PhD, brilliant guy. He's done a previous podcast on ceramics just in general. He talked a lot about the structure and clinical applications and understanding the difference between using a generic ceramic and a brand name ceramic and uh, really good information. Dr. Lawson, thanks for joining us again. Awesome. Thank you so much, Phil. So as, regarding the surface treatment of dental ceramics, you know, we hear about etchability, uh, ceramics that need to be sandblasted. Can you just clarify a little bit about that and um, enlighten us with all the stuff you know about materials? Absolutely. So yeah, one, one of the things that is funny, you know, as a dentist, the first time that I walked in and I looked at a, a laboratory sandblaster, I looked at this piece of machine and thought, I I have no, you know, understanding of how it worked. It was kind of intimidating because they don't, at least when I went to dental school, they didn't show you how the thing worked. So, you know, when you walk up to one like the Renfert sandblaster is real commonly, that's one that's in a lot of labs. And you look up to, there's, first of all, there's a little um, switch on there where you can control the air pressure of the sandblaster. And, and the, generally the, you'll sandblast around 30 PSI, which is about two bar pressure. But then the thing that always confused me were these two canisters that would sit in, in the back and they actually contain two very different types of sandblasting medium back there. And to tell you kind of a funny story, one of the guys that I, I teach with was uh, telling me one time he had done this feldspathic porcelain veneer, and he thought he was cleaning it off with one of the types of sandblasting medium, the glass beads, and he used the, the wrong one, the alumina, and he put a hole through the through the feldspathic porcelain veneer. And that's just the kind of tells you that they're very, you know, they behave differently. So one of the types of sandblasting medium is aluminum oxide powder, and that's a much more abrasive uh, media than the other one, which is glass beads. So I think of the aluminum powder as kind of like little rocks, because if you look at them under a microscope, they're irregularly sh irregular shaped. They're about twice as dense as the glass. And so I think of them again as little kind of rocks or pebbles. And then the other ones, on the other side is the glass beads, uh, which I think of as like little tennis balls because they're spherically shaped and they're half as dense. So they're just, they just kind of clean off the surface of things. So when we talk about sandblasting, I always like to differentiate between if we're talking about sandblasting with glass beads or with alumina. And that that doesn't just pertain to the lab. I mean, when you, if you're going to have like a sandblaster in your, in your office, like the uh, Danville micro extras, like the little ones we can hook up to our dental chairs. It, same thing. You can either put in glass beads into those or aluminum oxide uh, particles into there. So, you know, that's that's one, the first thing I like to talk about when I talk about um, sandblasting. So now if we uh, talk about different types of ceramics, I'll kind of go through the, and again, if well, I'm referencing back to the earlier podcast where we talked about the different types of ceramic materials, but I'll, I'll go through each type of ceramic material and talk about sandblasting. So first of all, we're talking about the glass ceramics, like a lithium disilicate, like a Emax type material. I would say, you know, there's, we really shouldn't be sandblasting those types of material, particularly not with the aluminum oxide, because you'll cause cracks in the material and you, and you don't need to sandblast it because, uh, you know, it's, 
in order to get surface texture from bonding Emacs, you can just etch it with hydrofluoric acid. Uh, so that, so really, so with that type of material, I wouldn't recommend sandblasting. Yeah. Now, most of the time, the manufacturer guides the dentist on you know what type of sandblasting material to use, whether it's alumina particles or glass beads. Most of the time, it's done in the laboratory before we even see the crowns. Um, and so, uh, I think that most of the time, when uh, if you talk to Ivo Clark who makes Emacs, they would tell you don't sandblast any of our our materials whatsoever. Okay. So they don't they wouldn't even put a recommendation. They just say don't don't sandblast this. And when it comes to traditional zirconia materials like a Katana HT or Bruxier or, or Lava Plus, that that generation of zirconia, um, they that you, they would recommend sandblasting the material, and they recommend sandblasting it with aluminum oxide particles, so the stronger type of uh, sandblasting medium. And that's to create some surface texture on the inside of the crown. It's kind of uh, analogous to, to etching with hydrofluoric acid on Emacs. And the thing about zirconia, the, the original zirconia, was it was so s strong that even when you sandblasted it, it didn't really affect its strength. So you know, most laboratories had just gotten in the habit of sandblasting all types of zirconia, and then you could take those crowns and cement them with the resin cement or glass on them or resin modified glass on or cement, and it wasn't a big deal basically because these these crowns were so strong. Where it started to get to be a little bit of an issue was uh, with this uh, next class of material I want to talk about, which is the um, translucent zirconia. So this would be like the katana UTML, katana STML. So when some of the original testing, we did some of this at UAB, we took these bars of the material and we'd sandblast it and then we would break it and we found out that it got a lot weaker when we sandblasting with alumina and it, we made it weaker. And we got a little bit nervous about it. And then we did this follow-up study though, where instead of just making these bars in the lab, we actually made crowns, sandblasted the inside of them to get, and we we're doing this again to get the retention. And then we bonded them onto um, actual dyes, and then we, with resin cement, and then we broke them. We found out if you, once you bond them on there with resin cement, the sandblasting that you did didn't really uh, make a difference. So, so that made me a little bit less nervous about sandblasting the inside of the translucent zirconia crowns. So again, going back to the different materials, so with lithium disilicates and, and porcelain, uh, I never sandblast those. When I've got the traditional zirconias, um, like a, a Bruxier, Lava Plus, Katana HD, those types of things, I sandblast and, and use any kind of cement with those. Uh, but And then with the with the translucent zirconias, like the Katana UTML, STML, you know, at the laboratory, or you're going to sandblast them, uh, I just recommend using, bonding those with a resin cement, um, and then and then you'll be okay. So that's that's my more than you ever wanted to know about sandblasting. Yeah, no, but that's, that's, my, that's great information. But but, but um, as far uh, as if they're a CAD CAM system in the office, they would mm -hmm. and they have a laboratory in their office. They would be doing the sandblasting, right? Not not at the laboratory. And yeah, house, absolutely. They're, they're doing it in their in-house laboratory. That's why I asked whether or not manufacturers provide that information based on. Oh yeah, that's material. that's a great point. Yeah. So, yeah. No. Now that now that they now that you can actually mill um, zirconia and they've got the fast fire ovens. Mm -hmm. it, you do in office. In office, yeah. I mean, around, and uh, I think the product you're mentioning, Katana, they do have CAD CAM blocks in the. Yeah, that's that's pretty new that they have these out there now. So that it's a they have a Katana blocks for the um for the Ceric system, and then, right. you, and then they have a fast fire mill, so you can in your office now, uh, so you can now do their zirconia blocks, which yeah. is which is pretty exciting. Yeah, and I think about fifteen or twenty percent of the doctors are using a 
chair-side CAD-CAM. Um, I heard that number too, yeah. What, what are the types of ceramic primers that are out there? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yep. So, um, you know, the next step after you've, uh, sand, you know, if you're talking about bonding to a, a ceramic material, so after I think of surface treatment first is the either sandblasting or etching, depending if you're talking about a glass-containing material or not. And then the next step is to apply some kind of primer. So when I think of primers, uh, the uh, the first one that I, that I think most of us have learned about in, in school and know about would be silane. So what silane is is it's a it's a molecule that's what I think would what I call a difunctional molecule. So on one end of the silane it likes to bond to things that contain glass, and on the other end of the molecule it bonds to our resin cements. So silane was a great primer for feldspathic porcelain veneers because it bonded to glass and that, or to lithium disilicate restorations because that's got glass into it glass in it. Um, but then where it started to be an issue was when we came out with these zirconia materials because the functional end of a, of a silane molecule doesn't bond to zirconia because there's no glass in it. And so I think that's where this kind of rumor started that you can't bond to zirconia. But um, there's a molecule that was actually uh, developed by Carari. It's a molecule called MDP and they'd had it in their Panavia cement for 25 years or something like that. And, and then um, and it was a molecule that they uh, developed actually for bonding to tooth, but it also bonded to zirconia. And then the patent ran out on that molecule, and then you'll you see it in a whole bunch of different types of zirconia primers now. And it, it's I think of it kind of like silane for zirconia because it's similarly a difunctional molecule. One end bonds to resin cement, but the other end bonds to zirconia. And um, you can see uh, primers that contain just MDP, like a Z prime from um, from Bisco, would be the example of material that of a primer that's just uh, contains uh, MDP. But then, what I think is some, sometimes a nice solution for dentists are these what I call universal primer or universal ceramic primer, something that can bond that has both silane and MDP in it. So it's one primer that you use for all your ceramic restorations. So you can bond to porcelain. Uh, lithium disilicate and to zirconia. Um, those primers, uh, some examples of that would be like Madabon Plus from Ivoclar or the Clearfill Ceramic Primer from Curari. And those are two examples of these primers that contain both the MDP molecule and uh, silane. So um, yeah, we've that, tested... That, that, that makes it yeah. so much simpler not yeah, to, have to worry about grabbing the wrong primer. We do a lot of bond strength testing in our lab and we've tested both, both of those and they both bond well to both uh, both lithium silicate and um, and to zirconia. So I think that's a nice solution for for a dentist looking to do for bonding to both materials. Yeah, so this universal primer just has it basically has MDP and silane in it. And if it's if it's working with glass, the silane is functional. If it's working with the zirconia, the silane becomes neutral and the MDP is the functional bonding agent. That was a great explanation, Phil. Yeah, that's, okay. uh, that's, that's I just took a shot at that. It's just a wild guess. <laughs> yeah. um, but it made, it made sense to me. So I figured why not just embarrass myself. Um, <laughs> so uh, you, uh, my next question was actually, can you bond to zirconia? But you kind of answered that. But do you want to talk about anything else related to the bonding to actual zirconia, the material? Yeah, well, I, I would like to kind of address that because one of the things that's um, that I've noticed is there's this real kind of divide between 
the kind of the science world and the wet finger dentistry world about this idea of bonding to zirconia. So to kind of give you an example, like last July, I went out to London for the International Association for Dental Research. That's like a big uh, research conference that most people in academics go to every year. And I was giving a presentation there, and the title they asked me to, to get, uh, the presentation asked me to give was um, Bonding to Ceramic Restorations. And I kind of thought, why am I giving this talk? Like maybe 10 years ago this was relevant, but you know now all the science that we have shows that you can bond to zirconia. And so I'm sitting in there giving the presentation. Everyone in the audience is kind of nodding, like, yes, we have the data that you can bond to zirconia. And there was four systematic reviews and meta-analysis, which were published in some of the highest impact factor journals showing data that you can bond to zirconia. But then on the on the flip side, if I'm scrolling through a, a Facebook group or a, a you know a, a online dental forum about uh, dentistry, and I mention something about bonding to zirconia, it, you know, it takes a millisecond for someone to you know respond back and say, oh, you can't do that, it's it's impossible. And so I, there's like this big kind of you know mm -hmm. divide to me between the the, the two different worlds. And um, you know, but you know that that being said, I I, I do. Um, you know, and and I think we're going to have another discussion uh, podcast after this to talk about, and we'll talk a little bit about when to bond, I think, and when not to bond. And I don't think you need to bond every zirconia crown, but when you need to, I think it it is possible. There's there's two parts to it, as we discussed earlier. There's one is creating the surface texture, and we've done SEM pictures. You can definitely sandblast zirconia, and you can create this surface texture on the zirconia. And then the second thing is with the primers and uh, the MDP primer. There have been a number of studies, chemical analysis showing that there's that there can be a bond between zirconia and the MDP primer using these these uh, analysis like a uh, mass spec and NMR and um, and EDX or some of the different types of chemical analysis that are actually done to show that there's a chemical bond between the primer and the zirconia substrate. So yeah, I mean, I, and then and beyond that, I forgot to say uh, we had a graduate student, uh, Daniel Kwan, who published a paper in January uh, where he did a laboratory study looking at, it was Katana UTML and STML, compared it to Emacs, uh, where they, he bonded to both of those ceramics, and they had equivalent bond initially, and then he aged them for 150 days in water, so let some of that hydrolytic degradation occur, and there was a drop in bond, but it was equivalent for both materials. So. You know, I, I am a believer that you can uh, bond to zirconia, and, and I think, and I hope, yeah, I'm looking forward to maybe our next conversation a little bit talking about, you know, when clinically would I bond and wouldn't I bond, because I don't think you need to bond every case, but when I when I need to, I think you can do it. Yeah, so why do you think some of the KOLs that are lecturing on the tour going around to the dental meetings are saying that you can't bond to zirconia? Why do you think they're not in touch with the... Uh, academic IADR crowd? So that's, you know, as I, I was sitting there racking my brain for the three seconds as you asked that question, and I, and I think one of the things that I hear back a lot of times is just the lack of clinical evidence because, you know, a material like Emacs, we have long, you know, 10, 15-year follow-ups of, of uh, bonding success, and with zirconia, you know, the concept of full contour zirconia hasn't been around uh, you know, as long as is is Emacs, and then bonding, it has you know hasn't been popular for as long. So there's just not as much clinical data. So you know, the, a lot of people will say you you could do whatever you want in the lab, but until I 
until I see the clinical studies or I can see, you know, clinical evidence, however they want to define it, they, they're hesitant to, to, um, right. to believe in the Bonta zirconia. And that, and that, and I haven't heard a lot of like scientific, scientific argumentation. Like there was, oh, there was a study that showed that you couldn't. It's, it's usually more just, I haven't seen the clinical evidence to prove this. Thanks so much for being with us. Dr. Law. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we appreciate the feedback, and uh, we look forward to having you on another podcast episode of Dental Talk. All right. Thanks, Bill.